Hello and welcome to this special Future Treasurer podcast episode brought to you by the Treasury Today Group. I'm Sophie Jackson, co-publisher and head of strategic content at Treasury Today. And I'm Meg Coates, co-publisher and head of operations at Treasury Today. In this episode, we look at the second West Coast installation of the Future Treasurer event series held by Treasury Today and State Street Global Advisors. Over the course of an interactive afternoon, featuring breakout sessions and polling of the audience, our attendees heard from senior regional leaders in the industry in a truly fantastic panel lineup, including Donna Bebb, Head of Global Credit Management at Google, Carolyn Hansen, Global Head of Treasury at Uber, and Elizabeth Kwong, Assistant Treasurer at Autodesk. The afternoon was the second of our future Treasurer events, which build on our phenomenal partnership with State Street Global Advisors. Beginning with our work together on the Women in Treasury initiative, we went across the world creating a community born out of our Women in Treasury platform and focused initially on questions of gender equality and female representation. Following on from this, we've expanded to look at all elements of best practice in the future of Treasury. These include a conversation around diversity and inclusion, and also look at all the elements of ESG, the skill sets that will be necessary in the future of Treasury, and the qualities of leadership that future Treasurers should possess. It was also a fantastic chance to bring together our community on the west coast of the US with attendees joining us from Seattle in Washington, all the way down to Southern California. Set against a most challenging backdrop of a year for our West Coast community, who have been coping with both the pandemic and ongoing Californian wildfires, it was a rare and fantastic opportunity to get together to celebrate progress, hear from some formidable women in the industry, and troubleshoot some of the challenges that the community were facing. For me, one of the, the most important takeaways from my experience working abroad was really the importance of actively listening to what is said and sometimes to what is not being said. And what I mean by that is being in a new environment with vastly different cultural norms and uh, a place where I was no longer a native speaker of the language, it meant that I needed to observe and listen in order to learn how to effectively communicate and be heard. And so fast forwarding to now and being back in the Americas where I'm, it's, it's home, um, I'm comfortable and I, I speak the language, um, this experience in Japan has taught me that it's incredibly important to um, stand in the shoes of others, especially colleagues where this isn't um, the place that uh, this the environment that we're in right now is vastly different from the environment that they come from where they grew up in uh, and and that um, as they go through the similar experience of listening um, they also need to be heard but in different ways and so they may not be as active in, in expressing what their thoughts are what their ideas are and it's up to me it's up to all of us to draw those ideas from them. It, it could be a language barrier, it could be just the way how things are done, uh, where they're from. And it's really up to all of us to understand that uh, each individual comes with a different set of experiences and background, and they communicate in different ways, they work in different ways. And, and one other thing I would like to say that is, is that it doesn't just stop at listening, 
what's really important is that you, you need to value and, and show support and advocate uh, for people who have different ideas and different ways of doing things. Unless you stand and you, and you show that support, it's easy for that to just get swept under the carpet. It, it, you kind of create momentum and traction once you start supporting others and become advocate for, for others that just aren't heard as much. Because again, they, this isn't, um, the work environment that we're in right now is not something that they're accustomed to. You know, when people can relate and feel included and welcomed, it's just human nature to feel more empowered, which can boost confidence and can be a motivator for the job um, and working together as a team. I'd say, you know, take Uber, we're in like 60, almost 70 countries. We serve around 10,000 cities and local communities. The company is really built on creating these opportunities and connecting people from all over. My team is global and I learn new things every day working with all of the different people across the world. And that's something that is a great feeling, right? Um, never bored, never gets tired. Um, but to really build a cohesive team, we do need representation and diverse views. Everyone has their own individual strengths and we need to play to those strengths and make opportunities to develop on those focus areas. I would say to build a co cohesive and successful organization, we need a representation at all levels, especially in leadership and decision-making roles. And when I was thinking about you know, what Liz was saying, you know, there was a study that was released in late 2019 about women in the workplace, and it indicated that there was progress being made um, for women in leadership roles, but women specifically, there's this like broken rung at step up to manager level, which is where the study indicated that women were really falling behind um, in terms of male counterparts, and that's, that this is the biggest uh, obstacle that women face on the path to leadership. And I would say for those that manage and lead teams, like this is really, I think, an opportunity for everyone to review their own habits and unconscious biases to see if there is a way that you can change the way that you promote or change the way that you lead. Um, I think earlier on in my career, it would have been, you know, really nice to see more people that looked like me on panels like this or at conferences or at other speaker series. That way that, you know, they could serve as a, a role model or a mentor. I've luckily been very fortunate to work with many, many leaders and I've seen lots of positive changes, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Fantastic. You made so many amazing points there, but I think the power of representation, I mean, as we're seeing across the board in our lives, you know, politically, socially, professionally, um, it's so important. If we don't see ourselves in these roles, we don't ever think that we can inspire to them. Um, I think also in the past, people speak about a role and they consider it to be already designated to a certain person. It's amazing to me how many times people talk to me about a CFO or a CEO and they, they say he by accident because we just haven't quite got used to seeing this real diversity. But the conversation you mentioned there around unconscious bias, around being brave enough to look at ourselves and acknowledge our failings is so powerful. And one of the things that I'm really enjoying at the moment is that people are not afraid to be vulnerable about these things. They're not afraid to learn and they're not afraid to admit that there's still quite a lot of work for everyone to be doing. Um, I mentioned earlier there that we're speaking around the issue of diversity and inclusion, which we've just discussed here, but also that we want to broaden this out to think about the other areas that we think future treasuries should be focused on. Um, so Donna, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned um, briefly ESG in the work that you've done. ESG is an often cited term. Um, we all know what the letters mean, but what does it mean for you? And more specifically, when we think about your work in sustainability, what has your work in that space over the last eight years shown you? 
Okay, so I'll give you my short version today, um, but happy to talk later if anybody is interested. I think um, my opinion on ESG has definitely evolved a lot over the years. And when I started the research fellowship at Stanford, I didn't know what it was. It really wasn't a thing. That was in 2014. So unless you were deep in the impact investing space or socially responsible investing, you didn't hear about it. And my first reaction was skeptical because to me as a former credit analyst, I remember having these conversations with people saying, well, we already include all of that stuff. Um, and it made me step back and think, what is ESG? And to your, your question of what does it mean to me, the reality is why did everyone start looking at ESG and trying to separate ESG and measure ESG? It's because it's measuring things that aren't on the financial statements but are important to a company's results and to investors. And I started thinking, okay, I've been including these in my analysis for years. Why do we need it separated? What I began to realize by sifting through this and trying to, to determine what the issue was is that the data still wasn't there. So I was including it to some degree, but there was no data. So you know, connecting it back to diversity and inclusion, most companies weren't disclosing any sort of metrics around gender or race diversity. Um, most companies weren't disclosing pay equity data um, because of this ESG movement and this desire and, and understanding that these metrics matter. Because if you have a highly paid workforce, if you have a diverse workforce that brings their best self to the table, that creates long-term value and better results in the financials. So they're intricately tied but I think it took a long time to realize that. And, and one thing that's been great about this ESG movement is that it's driven this, this increased disclosure of data. Um, I do think we are at risk. To your point, it's a very confusing term and it's used in so many different ways. There's a risk that it gets so confusing and convoluted that it becomes a little bit meaningless and cliched. And that concerns me. I think from my own point of view, ESG and sustainability are almost the same thing. So a sustainable company is one that generates long-term value for all of its stakeholders. And that term might even become a little bit overused over the next few years, but I think that's important. So I think a company that, that creates that long-term value for stakeholders, not just investors. So investors, employees, customers, suppliers, and the community is a company that's going to create value financially in the long-term. So I think ESG is meaningful, and I think we need to be careful because if you if you get too far into the weeds and bifurcate the definition and it becomes meaningless, then we may lose the initial reason for starting to look at ESG in the, in, in the first place. But it's been driving a lot of what I think are critical changes in reporting and measurement that will change the landscape. A big thank you to all our attendees at this future treasurer event. Thank you to our panelists, Donna, Carolyn and Elizabeth and to our partner State Street Global Advisors, as well as everyone in our West Coast community who joined us on the day. Thank you to you for listening. To hear more of our podcast episodes and to discover all our other audio content, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast from.